Hi, this is Craig Valentine, host of Early to Rise Radio. Have you ever wanted to become wealthier, healthier, wiser, or just have more time to appreciate the finer things in life? On this show, we reveal what high performers are doing every day to be more successful without sacrificing their personal lives. Early to Rise Radio is sponsored by The Perfect Day Formula. Get your free copy of this game-changing success guide at freeperfectdaybook.com. Now let's get started with today's show. The Pedro Frias Show starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This week, we are honored to have Craig Ballantyne back on the show for a second time. And if you didn't listen to the first episode, Craig is the author of The Perfect Day Formula and the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Unstoppable. He's also known by many folks in his inner circle as the world's most disciplined man. This dude's up extremely early in the morning. He works today with entrepreneurs, CEOs from all over the globe. I don't know anybody that's taken people from zero to one. So from idea to actually multimillionaire like Craig. And he owns a company called EarlyToRise.com. Make sure you check it out. Craig, thank you so much for coming back on the show, brother. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, the first one was one of our more popular shows. Do you remember the date of it or the date we recorded? I think it was around this time last year, man, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah, so I think it was around this time last year and the feedback was incredible, particularly just up the depth of the conversation we had and the knowledge because you have gone through so many life transitions and you've worked with so many entrepreneurs at different levels of their journey that people were sharing the show. They were just sending me messages. They ordered your books. So I'm honored to have you on again. Yeah, this is going to be great. So Craig, for those that don't know your story, and I know that you have built many businesses, but it wasn't always that way. Can you just share again, the beginning stages of your journey with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of those people who is not a born entrepreneur. I didn't have, you know, nine lemonade stands by the time I was 12 years old, as you like you read about for some people. I thought I was probably going to work for a company for 40 years, you know. And so I got into nutritional supplement space when I was younger, and then I became a personal trainer. I have a master's degree in exercise physiology. My biggest break came in 2000. So, you know, a long time ago when I started writing for Men's Health Magazine. And, you know, the internet's coming together and people are selling stuff online. And that's when I started. I, you know, I sold my first thing was a Word document that I sold through PayPal. And on January 28th of 2001, I sold it for 59 US dollars, which is a big deal because at the time I'm Canadian. At the time, that exchange rate was like a hundred bucks Canadian. Wow. So, you know, I was living the dream and I did that for, you know, 15 years. I did that as my main business selling videos and, you know, as YouTube came along, I, I, one of my first YouTube videos, 2007. And so I got into video pretty quickly in the fitness space. And in 2007, I also started coaching entrepreneurs for the first time because all these personal trainers would come up to me and say, like, how do you do this online thing? And so I started doing seminars and a little bit of coaching. And then over time, as I started running these two separate businesses, I had to become more productive, which is why people joke about the world's most disciplined thing, because people, some of my other entrepreneur friends would see me creating content for two or three different companies. Be like, how is this guy doing it? In order to be productive, you must be disciplined. So they gave me that little moniker, but, uh, you know, I'm, I guess maybe the world's most disciplined civilian or <laughs> world's most productive civilian. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from special operations people at all. And so then in 2015, I had enough of the fitness industry and that's when my first book was done, the perfect day formula. And I transitioned into full-time just working with entrepreneurs. And we started off more in like a one-on-one. And then we started like all day. I would spend a full day with an entrepreneur and, you know, it was really high level and expensive. And then we tried to figure out how we can come up with courses and stuff for people on a lower level. So, you know, they couldn't do that. And I've been doing that ever since, shut the fitness business down and now doing that. And I'm a little bit of a late bloomer to the family scene. So we now have two girls under the age of 18 months which uh, actually gets me up earlier than ever. <laughs> and, you know, today I was up at three o'clock because uh, our, our new is nine weeks old. And so 
my wife and I have figured something out. So, so actually, let me give you the best parenting advice that I've ever received in my life. And it was from this guy, Ed O'Keefe. Ed O'Keefe actually is the guy who uh, first called me the world's most productive or disciplined man. And so Ed said to me, the best advice I can give you is that you can be tired and your wife can be tired, but you cannot be tired at the same time. And when you are both tired at the same time, you go, oh my God, that advice that Ed gave me was brilliant. And so then you start structuring your life so that you're never tired at the same time. And what my wife and I have figured out is that with the little one, because the other one sleeps all through the night, with the little one, she does everything up until about one or two. And then after one or two, it's my time. Because we go to bed really early. And if I can sleep from like eight until one, I can pretty much be fine which, you know, is not healthy and it's not, you know, sustainable long-term, but I can function. I don't do well if I had to get up at 11 PM, you know, after three hours sleep. So she's okay with doing that. So we figured it out and, you know, we just built a system, but, uh, you know, last night the little one got up at three o'clock. I fed her, you know, by the time I put her back to bed, it's like my regular wake up time. So I just stayed up and started working. And that's, you know, sometimes what you have to do in this situation. Jeez, I, I can't, I couldn't imagine waking up at that time and functioning. Well, I couldn't imagine, what time do you go to bed? I couldn't imagine going to bed at what time you go to bed at. <laughs> well, yeah, I go to bed at 10, I'm up at five, which, you know, in my circle, that's pretty extreme. You know, 3 a.m. is obviously mm -hmm. a whole nother level. You know, you know, one of the interesting things is, well, it's not interesting, it's weird, I guess, is one of the reasons why I get up so early and have for a long, long time is that I'm introverted by nature. And so... I don't really want to be up when other people are up. And so, you know, I, I like my alone time and that sort of stuff. And so even when I was single, you know, I kind of lived that life most of the time. Obviously it's not possible uh, when you're single and you want to do some stuff, but I try to just because again, I get the, the most value from it. So I'm taking something that some people see as a negative, like, Oh, you know, introverted tendencies or whatever. And like, how can I max, how can I actually use this to my benefit? Oh, well, I don't mind being up early in the morning you can do the same sort of thing and flip it and be a night owl, but there's a lot more temptations at night. So it's harder, I think. But I just like, okay, I'll be up in the morning alone on my own time. And whoa, did I ever find my productivity increase? Now, I'm not saying everybody has to get up at four o'clock or five o'clock or even six o'clock. But what you have to do is you have to get time, focus time on your most important project. And everyone understands that conceptually. But, but the difficult thing is the longer you go in a day, over a 24 hour clock, um, like a actual chronological clock, the more difficult it is because everybody else starts getting up and then everybody starts sending you these messages. And so if you're an early bird or a night owl, there's fewer interruptions, even in the global world um, where, you know, I do have clients in Europe who message me uh, pretty early, but I just avoid those. And when you have that time that you can focus with fewer distractions, you'll get ahead. So you need to figure out how is your schedule, you know, with all this stuff going on and every single person listening to this, how do you make sure that during the day you match your level 10 intensity and effort to your level 10 problem? Most people do not do that daily, let alone weekly even. Um, we all run from these level 10 problems in our life and we take the easy way out and we do the easy things. And we also don't do the level 10 problem when we have the right energy and intensity. Cause there is a time of day that everybody has where they have greater focus naturally. You know, most people it's not two o'clock or three o'clock in the afternoon. It's usually in the morning or it's usually sometime at night. And, and if you're not doing your best work in those times when you are more naturally focused, you're going to make things harder. Oh, there, there is a lot there. And that's why I love having you on the show because even for me, you know, when I had to learn before reading your books, that the first block of the morning, just me waking up, I could focus and get everything done without distractions. And I think the challenge for most people, which I want to touch upon this a little bit with you is, you know, when you have a relationship, you have a family, you have responsibilities, you have work, it can be tough to balance all these things and give your best to each part of your life, right? So how do you show up for your relationship? And for you, I'm curious, Craig, since, I mean, you're doing a lot you know, it's a lot of pressure. You also just mentioned that you're introverted too. How do you stay at that peak performance state in all those aspects of your life, including your relationships? Because I think that's a huge challenge for many of us. Yeah. And, and a lot of this comes down to 
what I call watching the movie of your life. Recently, I spoke at a seminar in LA and this other guy, you know, he just said, you got to watch the tape. And this other guy happened to be a guy named Phil Heath. And Phil Heath, if you're into bodybuilding, has won the Mr. Olympia seven times in a row. So that's essentially like he won the World Series or Super Bowl of bodybuilding seven years in a row. And Phil Heath had this really cool story. It was, it was probably the best story that I heard any speaker teach at the event. And I think 99% of people in the audience missed it. And he said the year before he won... He was up on stage and I think it's in Vegas and it was, you know, there was two guys left. It was him and Jay Cutler and Jay Cutler, uh, I think had won seven years in a row. So it's like, you only, you only win the Mr. Olympia. If you win the Mr. Olympia, then you're going to win the next seven years in a row. Anyway, so Jay Cutler and, and Phil are on stage and Phil says, I watched the tape, you know, cause Phil comes in second and he says, when they called Jay's name as the winner, I exhaled. And I'm like getting goosebumps telling this story because I think it is so cool. And he said, I, I only recognize this by watching the tape. And when I exhaled, I realized, oh my gosh, I was relieved. I didn't win because I wasn't mentally ready. And so he spent the entire next 12 months um, obviously, he was focused on his bodybuilding and getting bigger and more ripped and defined in certain areas, but he spent way more time on his mental game. And then that allowed him to win the next year and then seven years in a row. But he just said, he said it in such a cool way. He said, you got to watch the tape. And that's what I do all the time. You know, like in, with the interaction, you know, go back to my, uh, the advice from Ed O'Keefe. You can be tired. Your wife can be tired. You can't be tired at the same time. And I don't know if this is normal or I'm abnormal in doing this is that when I'm in a situation like when I'm tired, my wife's tired and, you know, my voice raises and I, you know, I might snap at something, might snap at the dog. I recognize it as, oh my gosh, I did something stupid there. And I catalog it as I got to come back to this and set myself up for success. And we use that phrase around the house a lot. Like right now, our daughter, our oldest daughter is teething really hard because her molars are coming in and she's very, she gets really frustrated very quickly when she's playing or at swim lessons or something. And then when she gets frustrated, I kind of like, Hey, you know, you got to calm down, but, but telling somebody to calm down, it's never a good idea. That's not setting them up for success. So I'm like, okay, if I want to set my daughter up for success in this situation where she's more easily frustrated how do I do that? What's the system? Oh, I see. So like in swimming lessons, she was getting really frustrated because we, we wanted to, we want to have pools and stuff and we don't want her to drown. So we take, uh, obviously, and so we take swimming lessons very seriously and we do them regularly and she wasn't progressing. And I was like, oh, she's getting frustrated. So let's stop the lesson and let's go play. Let's go play and get her to stop crying and just distract her from the bad thing. So she calms down on her own. That's setting somebody up for success. Because I've watched the tape in my mind of, okay, when we did this, when we tried this exercise, this difficult exercise three times in a row, then she got really frustrated by it. If I continue doing it and, you know, I don't have any self-awareness here and I make her do it six times, she's going to be in, in horrible frustration. So, okay, we need to circumvent that and remove her from the environment, get her calmed down, and then come back to another exercise where she can make some gains from it. And it's the same in life where, you know, like I used to binge eat chocolate covered almonds at night. And I realized like if I had two or three drinks when I was out with friends at dinner, I'd walk by 7-Eleven on the way home and buy a bag of chocolate covered almonds that I didn't need and I would eat them. And I was like, okay, let me try two drinks. And then I cut it down to like one third of the time, you know, so if it used to be like one out of every five times I went out uh, drinking and had three drinks. Well, now I cut it back by a third, so I can't do the math on those fractions. But, and, and, but then I was like, okay, well, what if I only had one drink? And then I cut it down to like a tenth. And then I was like, well, I'll just have a sip of alcohol because really the first sip of alcohol is all that you really need to take the edge off. And then I was like nearly zero times binge eating chocolate-covered almonds, all because I kept on watching the tape. What? Here's the stupid thing I did. What happened before that that caused me to do the stupid thing? And then, you know, by doing this every day, which is what I call watching the movie of your life, then you become 1% better every day. If you become 1% better every day, that's 365% better, not including the compounding of it. So you actually get way ahead in life 
by doing self-reflection. So going back to your original question of how do you, you know, stay at peak performance, one of the most important things is to watch the tape of your life and watch the tape of your performance in situations. Watch the tape of your performance on stage. If you're going in and pitching investors, you know, I don't know if you can do this, but record it, you know, with your iPhone so that you listen to the audio and then, you know, like, Hey man, where did I screw this up? You know, these guys were so interested and I didn't convert them. Oh, well, you know, in the, in the pitch at the end, I totally waffled on the call to action. You know, no, I just didn't, I forgot to present this key information. And so then you train yourself. So the next time you go into a pitch, you do it right. But you'll never get this unless you watch the tape. And the last thing I'll say on this is I heard that, you know, like you two, when they were like the top band in the world, they would watch the tape of the concert before the next day. And they would, they would go, okay. I, I mean, I don't know what they would say, but I could imagine them going, oh man, you know, this song placed before this song was not a good fit or, you know, like this guitar solo was too long or whatever it was. And that's how you refine your performance. So by watching the tape all the time and setting myself up for success with removal of temptations and removal of distractions and removal of the things that cause bad behavior, you can, you can elevate your regular baseline level of performance to a very high level such that you don't have to do anything special to get yourself to perform at peak level. Like it's not like you have to pump yourself up because you just naturally, that's your level at which you perform because you've eliminated all the things that hold you back from it. Ooh, that there is a lot there and that is so powerful. No, it's, it's so powerful. And this is by the way, on, on our last episode, I always send it to folks that are struggling with just getting out of their mind. You gave me the best piece of advice that I use on every episode I do on the show now, which is, to think and frame questions as if I'm talking to one person. And I use it when I'm on stage or if I'm in meetings, I'm always thinking about one particular person. And it's so hard for us to take that step back and to look and like almost like detach and watch, watch the movie like you're saying, because we critique ourselves. I think the average person and many of us today, we have all this negative self-talk, which prevents us from like going to the next level. Yeah. And that's why I wanted, uh, you know, you had my friend Gavin on the podcast. I don't know if it'll be before or after this one, but you know, he just helps people reframe those limiting beliefs and overcome that self-talk because it is so important. It is incredibly important. And I'm actually reading a book by uh, Scott Adams, the guy who writes the Dilbert comic called reframe your brain. And it's a very simple book, but it's essentially you have to reframe everything in your mind. Everything that's negative in your mind can be reframed as a positive. And when you do that, like even standing in line at a grocery store, the DMV or, you know, passport office or whatever, most people will look at that as a negative, but you can reframe your brain so that it's an opportunity. I write articles. I make, you know, if I have a podcast coming up, I, I come up with the questions I can make standing in line. One of the most productive times of my day, if I reframe my brain around it and plan and prepare properly for it. And even if you get into one of those emergency situations where you're stuck in a line or you're stuck in traffic, you can reframe your brain to use it as a positive. And that's a huge separation between people that, you know, I like to say struggle because I, every time I made a video and I meant to say stuck and struggling, I would say struggle. And, and people kind of like, I like that phrase. And, you know, but people who are struggling, stuck and struggling, they are emotionally reactive and they don't look at things as an opportunity to reframe. And then therefore they lose an opportunity because, you know, their regular way of looking at something that goes bad is to all of a sudden, you know, blame and get angry and et cetera, et cetera. But you have to reframe. Do you still struggle with that today from time to time? Do you have to like intentionally reframe? Intentionally, yes. You know, like for example, with my daughter, this morning we were, you know, she's having breakfast and running around the house and stuff. And she was getting frustrated because she's at a phase right now where I'm trying to remember what she was upset at. She's at the phase right now where every drawer, you know, open, take everything out. And, you know, I play along with it, but she was getting really upset because she couldn't open this one door because it was heavy. And, you know, I could feel the temperature rising in me because I don't like to see her upset. You know, she's screaming and the natural reaction. And I think most people 
is to then elevate themselves. And the next thing you know, they're, you know, using a higher tone of voice with their kids and et cetera. And I was like, okay, wait a minute again, how do I set her up for success right now? Well, let's remove her from the frustration. Let's take her over and do something else. She really loves Minnie Most. So we gave her Minnie Most doll. Um, she's obsessed with Minnie Most. It's hilarious. And, uh, you know, so it's like, okay, remove her from the environment. And that's a great lesson for everybody. If you are in a situation where you're behaving poorly, whether you're making bad decisions or whether you're getting upset, removing yourself from the environment. I mean, it's, it's such an obvious thing, but you wouldn't. If your dog was around a bunch of other dogs and it was barking and acting out, you wouldn't stay there. You would leave. But we ourselves, you know, we don't train ourselves as well as we train our dogs. But but everything you train a dog to do should be used as for training humans and training yourself. And so it's it really is. I've watched enough dog training videos to realize that leading people and managing people is is very similar to uh, dog training. Yeah, you want to remove the negative environment and you want to praise positive performance. And, that, and that's how you train a dog and that's how you train a human, including yourself. No, that, that is so true. And, and, you know, I've learned a lot of the things that you're sharing. I feel like a lot of us learn, but we learn the hard way. So we crash and burn. We burn out. We, you know, are almost like running in a treadmill. We, you know, handle multiple different projects at once. We get busy and then we don't ever take that step to really look at what we're doing. And I think it's even more obvious, like to your point, when you're managing people or I see it all the time with entrepreneurs out here in the Silicon Valley, or especially the last two years where it's been a little bit trickier because of interest rates and can't get funding cycles and people continue to run on that treadmill in the wrong direction. And then they burn out in every aspect of their lives. It has been a tougher couple of years. And, you know, the reframe there is that it's a lot of positive self-talk and it's a lot of reframe that, you know, Alex Ramosi has, has become a pretty famous business guy recently. And he has a reframe of whenever he's going through a really tough time, he just says in the future, I'm going to have a chance to tell this story. I can either tell the story that I quit when it got hard, or I can tell my hero's journey story of like, this is the inflection point that I kept going through. And I sat with the mentors and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, in the future, I'll be able to tell this story of how I got through this time. And that's what we have to do. And it's a, it's a perfect reframe you can use when you're in the gym. Like I can quit now uh, because of the discomfort of this exercise or this set, or I can continue on and get the results later on. Same with business. I can, I can quit now, or I can make a bad decision that, you know, it takes the easy way out, or I can persist through this, believing in myself and have an amazing story to tell later on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and it's and it, to the point it's, it's in those negative and it's in the down moments when we really need to practice intentionally shifting because it's real easy to be, you know, and this is why I always tell everybody, it's like super easy. But when everything's going your way, it's easy to be positive. It's easy to have the right self-talk because it's when things are crashing and burning. You can't get funding. Your business is going downhill or maybe you're going through a divorce or maybe you're just, you know, depression now is at an all time. Almost everybody I know today is depressed and it's just a weird thing. And even people at the top of their game, I'm like, dude, you have this huge company. I talked to this guy. He has a company, he has seven people, he's doing millions of dollars in revenue, but to him, it's not enough. And he's depressed. He's like, I feel like my company should be. And then it's that constant, just beating themselves up to the point where you're just down and then you go on social media and then you see friends. And it's just this spiral that I see society kind of going into. And it's one of the more surprising things we see, which is why I love your work, because that shift that meant if we can make that shift, we can get out of that negative cycle. Yeah, because you can look at anybody. I'm sure Elon Musk, you know, has the same story. Oh man, you know, Tesla should be further ahead. It should have no bugs. And, you know, we should be on Mars by now. You know, like the, the guy could beat himself up too. And anybody can beat themselves up because, you, you know, as an ambitious person, this is a reframe. This is your genius. You are an ambitious person. You will never be fully satisfied, no matter how many, you know, Zen meditation weekends you go to, <laughs> you'll never be able to, to beat that out of yourself. And so the reframe here is that this is part of your genius and, and it's okay to be ambitious because that is the thing that fires you up to come back and do more. The, now on the flip side though, you do have to understand that you'll never be able to achieve everything you want because you are so ambitious, but 
the gratitude exercises come in so helpful there. Uh, the understanding that, you know, the stoicism understanding that, you know, we are dust in the wind sort of thing, that all of this is going to end. We need to make the most of our time right now. And then it's a matter of them stepping back and making sure that they're focusing on things that matter, right? We need to, to make sure that we're living our right life, making the right decisions for that, focusing on what really matters and not allowing short-sightedness on numbers in the game to prevent us from achieving something else outside of it. So the thing that we do in our business is we make sure that people understand what really matters to them. Because I have personally chased more money when more money didn't matter as much as you know having a family to me. But it, it is tempting that if you don't step back and look at the bigger picture of it all and understand that, you know, raising well-adjusted children is actually my number one priority. And whether I have a $14 million company or a $21 million company is not the, the most important thing. I would love to have both the $21 million and the children that are well-adjusted. But if one of them has to be sacrificed, it's not going to be the kids or it's not going to be the relationship that I have. Or I'm not willing to become a diabetic just in order to go from $14 million to $21 million. And so if we're only focused day-to-day revenue numbers and we never do a step back and look at a bigger picture, a 30,000-foot view of things and recalibrate, then we will really get lost in that world of the social media comparison. And hopefully this is something that will come with age for everybody as, you know, the older you get, the, the more life changes happen where you start to see a broader perspective of things. And, you know, there is good examples out there like Naval, you know, who's got some pretty, you know, he's got, he's a successful guy, but he understands that some of the, you know, the the monetary numbers only matter to a certain point. And at which point uh, you can pretty much have everything you want. And it's not that much, even in today's uh, world of rising (laughs) inflation and craziness, but you need to know exactly what matters to you. And that's why when we coach people, we spend so much time on identifying their values, both their company core values, their family core values, and the values as to like, here's what I must accomplish in my life. And, you know, so for everybody sitting there listening to this, just think like, you know, you're 85 years old and you're sitting in your artificially intelligence powered rocking chair, right, of the future. And you're looking back on your life. What would that 85 year old uh, say is like, listen, these things have to have been accomplished in your life in order for your life to have been successful. Like, you know, if, if that person was sitting there and going, well, I got to $40 million, you know, annual revenue, but I never got married or I, I got married and divorced and then I never saw my kids. Was I successful? Man, I'd go back and, you know, kick my 35 year old uh, self's butt for, you know, letting, you know, out here, you, you know, you can get to 20 million and you're going to be totally fine and not get divorced. I would take 20 million and not divorced and time with my kids over 40 million. But and it's silly, like, because it sounds so obvious saying that. But in the day to day, when it's, you know, we got to get this, you know, new iterate 2.0 or 2.7 launched before the competitors launch theirs, you can get caught up in that. And so, yes, work hard. Yes, be ambitious, but understand the big picture. The, the more intelligent people will get it because you're really holding two conflicting ideas. And I think it was. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who said the mark of a first rate intelligence is to be able to hold two conflicting ideas. And and I I lost the quote, but uh, I know it's something like that. Maybe you'll be able to look it up and post it in the show notes, but it's something like that. And, you know, it is two conflicting ideas to have an amazing family and to have time with them, but also to grow this amazing business. And you take that to the average person and the average person will say, no, you can't do that, but you can do it in a way that optimizes and maximizes it's not work life balance it's an optimize and maximization of what really matters to you but you only know that when you spend enough time watching the tape and in self reflection to know what really matters and not be influenced by outside aspects that you're able to get on that road and and hit that north star and that is the most difficult thing to do, especially when you're type A, you're an ambitious person and you're in the game and you're competing and then you're going online, then you have your friends and then you, all the problems of business that come up, it's, it can be tough to, you know, look and take that detachment look and say, Hey, what's actually important to me? And then focus. Cause I know you're also big on focus and it's one of the, the key areas of your work is helping entrepreneurs focus on what matters 
And it's tough, at least for me, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs I think about, we don't necessarily believe in work-life balance. And it's one of the challenges we have is managing relationships, managing the business and growing, and then showing up in other areas of our lives. So I'm glad you broke it down into buckets. Is that one of the most common things that you see your, your, your clients struggle with? Yeah. And the thing is, is the semantics of it all, right? Because some people will say work-life balance because even though like work-life balance is there's 8 billion versions of it, right? There's one for every human on the planet. Like my work-life balance is not your work-life balance is not Elon's work-life balance is not, you know, Joe, the trucker's work-life balance. And I don't think anybody's got a right and a wrong work-life balance if they understand truly what it is to them and what they're willing to sacrifice and not willing to sacrifice. So they might say that they struggle with work-life balance. They might say that they're burnt out, uh, for lack of a better term. They may be suffering anxiety or depression, which then they might call uh, burnout. Or they may just feel like they're, they're not getting ahead as much. They, they may feel that not necessarily envy, but they may feel that comparison syndrome and then the FOMO. And so everybody's got like a, a weird different version of this. The thing is, I don't like to use work-life balance, but there's no better phrase for it because everybody understands what you kind of sort of mean when you use it. But if we unpack it and we say, all right, so in order for me and you to figure out if you're really hitting your work-life balance is for you and I to know exactly what you absolutely positively must accomplish in your life. And so lately I've been asking people, to get much more specific with their goals. Like, so for example, people come up to me all the time, especially those people that have podcasts and they'll say, I want to have more impact. And if I could, if I could like take a one word out of the high performers dictionary, I would say you're not ever allowed to use the word impact anymore, because what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Like, do you want, do you want to help 10 people not commit suicide? Or do you want a million people to smile because they watch, you know, listen to your podcast? I don't know. Like I don't, I can't help you design your podcast or your plan until I know what you mean by that. So what is your specific definition of success for your podcast? Or what is your specific definition of success for the business? And what that means is if you were to look back in five years, what do you have to hit? What has to be there? Like, and, and it's funny because people will say they want to have this $100 million business or $10 million business even. And then you you unpack what they really want in life. And then it's like, you know, I just want, they want stuff that doesn't require 10 or $100 million. And we act so weird in, about these numbers, even though they're not the real thing that we want. And I've been guilty of this too. And it's like, I want peace and quiet, to be honest with you. <laughs> like that, my definition of success is being able to work in peace and quiet on the stuff that I enjoy and be able to make sure that I have enough money to take my, my wife and kids to water parks on the weekend and even during the week and just do the stuff without bother. I want freedom. And do I need to have $100 million in order to have freedom? And the answer is, of course you don't. And so therefore, what is the specific definition of success? Is your specific definition of success to have a $40 million business? And if that comes at the expense of you not having a family, you're totally fine with it. Okay, great. I can build you a plan to achieve this and I can hold you accountable to achieving this. And now I know where you know, the boundaries are for us to operate. But if, when someone comes and says, I want to have more impact or I want to get, make more money, I don't have any boundaries. I, I, you know, it's like the NFL not having out of bounds. It's like, there's no end zones. Well, how are we going to play the game? And so being as specific as possible, so you tell me specifically what work-life balance means to you, what exactly you must achieve in order to be successful. And we'll operate on your definitions. You don't, you shouldn't even care what my definitions are because my definition is not your definition and it's irrelevant. So let's just unpack everything in your mind about what you want and be as clear as possible and be as specific as possible. And then great. Now we can, we can build, but if you don't have the instructions you know, or if you don't have the recipe, you can't make the dream life. So that's the most important thing that you have to figure out with most people. Huh. And, and that, that's so relatable for, our, I think all of us. And it's something I'm actually thinking through now because I actually, I've never heard it in that way where many of us, and I did this for years, we go down a certain path and it could be like what's in, it could be what the definition of 
what success is from what you see online, or maybe it can even be upbringing and family and all this external pressure. And then we spend five to 10 years going in the wrong direction. And then like you, you know, you have to kind of look back and say, holy shit, why am I even doing this anymore? You know what the greatest analogy for this is, is real estate. You know, I used to own a home, a condo in Toronto where I used to live. You know, it was my first condo. I think I bought it for like five or $600,000 in 2008. And, you know, it was for, for anybody else who lived in Toronto in a condo, I had this amazing view. It was in a cool loft building and someone would come over and go, wow, this is pretty cool. If I invited my cousins or my uncles from the small town where I grew up and, and they're truck drivers and they all live in single family homes, you know, like the wartime bungalows, right? With a backyard and a front yard and, you know, maybe a, a first floor and a basement. And I invited them to come to see my condo. And then I told them how much I paid for it. They would think I'm a lunatic, right? And I see this in everything from like Westchester, Westchester County, New York, where you pay $40 million for like 10 acres to have like a horse stable. And it's like, well, I don't want to live. I wouldn't, I'm, you couldn't pay me a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars a year to live there. Cause why would I want to live there? But there are people in Westchester County who will work 14 hours a day as a dentist and hate life just in order to, you know, move up and keep up with the Joneses inside their environment. And it's the same in the entrepreneur world is people on the outside will just think that you're crazy for doing what you're doing if you're only chasing the money. Now, they might not think you're crazy if you're inventing this new app or software or technology that, that will have an, <laughs> I've almost said have an impact, which will actually be beneficial to society in a way that, you know, there'll be a lot of users and it will solve a problem. And they're like, oh, okay, I can see how you put, you know, you work 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week because you really believe this is, is going to improve humanity. And wow, it's pretty cool. And I believe it too. But if you're working 60, 70 or 80 hours a week, just to go from 14 million to 15 million and beat some guy down the street who made fun of you at Stanford. And you explain that to somebody who's from uh, Wichita, Kansas, they'll look at you like a lunatic and probably rightfully so because you don't have your life priorities organized right. So that's where you have to step outside of your bubble sometimes and go, wait a minute, what am I doing? And, and I'll use one more analogy here is there's uh, a lot of people that I read, you know, social media commentators who will make this argument about, you know, single women in New York City. Right. So they're in they're in New York City and they're trying to impress other single women by having this type of lifestyle. And and maybe they're like, you know, trying to, you know, they got chip on their shoulders, so, you know, because they they grew up in an age where you want, you know, people said women couldn't be successful. And so they've gone, you know, they're 45 or 50 and they're childless. And they got millions of dollars, but all of a sudden they go, oh my God, I'm 45 and I'm childless. But they were in that environment and they never took time to step outside and look at what really mattered to them and go, wait a minute, I would give these millions for a kid, but I can't. And now I'm in this prison that I've created. And I, and I think that last line that just came to me there is we don't want to succeed so much that we put ourselves in a prison that we've created. And I've been there where I put myself in a prison that I've created. I used to be on the road all the time doing seminars and workshops and all this stuff. And it was great until like at 10 o'clock on a Friday night when you get home from being on the road and you're in a cab, a 30 minute cab ride home. And it's like the loneliest feeling in the world. And it's like, oh, you know, I just got off stage and all these people love me. Yeah, but they went home to their families and I'm going home to the, the Westin in Denver where I lived for 80 nights in a year. And it's like, really, oh, I became so successful. I gave myself a prison. You know, you can say some celebrities have that. They can't even go out to a restaurant, but they've got all this money and fame, but they can't, you know, do what they wanted to do when they were 25 years old. So be careful. You don't put yourself in a prison of success. Jeez, that, that, that was so powerful. And, you know, Craig, I, I was going to ask you if there was a turning point for you. And the reason why I was going to ask you is, you know, you're in an environment you've created the right circle around you, but you're also connected with a lot of, you know, you and your peer groups are very influential people, especially in the personal development space, the coaching space, the mindset space. And I was curious for you, how do you not 
shift into that zone? Because is there ever that internal conflict where, you know, you want to go chase and go to the extreme to things and into this prison mindset versus chasing what's important to you, which is freedom? Yeah, definitely. And it's the same as everybody else, right? So I'll watch, you know, I'll see somebody who I follow posted that they were speaking here. And then it's like, oh man, you know, if I just would have done this, this, and this, and and put another 10 hours a week into my speaking, maybe I could have been speaking at that. And it's like, well, where do I have that? I don't have that time. And, and so the best thing I ever did was that I wrote my first book. And in my first book is I shared the vision for my life, which was that I wanted to get married and I wanted to have a family and I wanted to have kids, obviously. Um, that's necessary for a family. And <laughs> it's, like, it's like when I say, we've got a new baby. It's like, as opposed to what, an old baby? Like you, you, you don't need to say the new part. <laughs> and so anyways, I wrote that and I put it out to the public. And now wherever I went, people would ask me, hey, you know, how's it going on? you know, finding your wife and having your kids. And it prevented me, it it would almost like put me, gave me some parameters and boundaries, right? So boundaries again, because if I didn't say that, if I just wanted to say I wanted to be successful and I didn't put a timeline on my family, you know, on getting married and having kids, and I didn't, you know, describe that I wanted this, I would have had this, um, you know, playing field that would have been so expansive with no boundaries that I could have just, you know, went off chasing things in all types of directions. But when you have a very clear vision and when you have parameters and boundaries, then you kind of stray, stay more in a straight line of success and you don't take dangerous detours and you achieve what really matters to you. Even though once in a while, like a little voice on your shoulder will say, well, you could do this too, but everything that you could do too, you have to sacrifice one of the things that you're doing. You know, there's very few people who, uh, you know, like nobody's Elon and Elon does have all these businesses and he has 10 kids or nine kids and he has, you know, five or six different moms. And I'm somewhat of a fan of the guy, but clearly with all the obligations that he has going on, something is not being given the attention it deserves. I don't know what it is. And I'm not judging him. I'm just saying that I have a feeling that, you know, there's, there's uh, something slipping, right? And you can't use, so if you keep on adding things thinking you're, you know, there's a little Elon in you, well, it's, it's probably going to end up in a bad way for you because if you want to do great things, you really should stick to doing fewer things. If you want to do great things, if you want to be a great father and a great entrepreneur, well, you're probably going to be able to do those two things and not be an Iron Man at the same time. Probably not. And you might know somebody who can do all of those three things, but they're not going to be a best-selling author. They're not going to do all four of those things. And there might be like one in a billion who can do all four of those things, but you're not the second in a billion to do all four of those things. There'll always be a David Goggins. There'll always be an Ed Milet. There'll always be a Elon Musk. There. Yeah, right. There's one in a billion, one in a billion, or one in two billion. But most of the people are like you, who are pretty successful, like way more successful than an average person, but unable to do more and should be doing a little bit less in certain things. And so, the next part that we do after we get like the higher level, the vision and the values and all that sort of stuff, and the straight line to success, then we start to look at the day-to-day, which is where the leverage happens. And the leverage is in what are you doing that somebody else in your company could be doing? What are you doing that shouldn't be done at all? Because there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be done at all that you're probably doing. You know, when I used to go, when I wrote wrote my first book, I thought I'm going to do a hundred podcasts. And so I did all these podcasts and I realized after I did a hundred of them, 20 or 30 of them had an audience of like 20 to 50 people. I shouldn't have done those in the first place at all. But I have absolutely have to stop doing those and only do them with, with great quality audiences. Otherwise, I could have spent an hour, this hour doing YouTube videos where I could do 10 YouTube videos. And even if they only got a couple thousand views, it's still better than me doing a podcast for 20 or 30 or even 50 people or 100 people or 500 people, right? So, <laughs> so we, you know, we simply ask those questions. What do you hate doing? So this is one of the exercises I do with people. It's called the millionaire time matrix. Ask yourself, what do you hate doing? Now, you might not be able to not do this. Like you might still have to do this, but maybe there's a time of day where you could do it that you don't hate doing it. 
So for me, back when I was starting my coaching business, I was doing sales calls and coaching calls in the morning, but I hated morning calls because I wanted to create in the morning. So I was like, oh, well, there's a simple, I can set myself up for success by just only taking calls in these time periods. Great, done. So solve that problem. The next question is, what should you stop doing? And for me, it was podcasts with you know people that had very small audiences. I just can't do that. As much, I want to be on everybody's podcast. I just don't have time to do it. The next question is, what is not your job? And this is probably the area of greatest leverage for people listening. Because you have people that are underutilized in your company. Even that guy with seven team members, he's probably doing stuff that he hired one of his people to do, but for some reason he doesn't want to give up control or he doesn't want to take the time to explain it or this, that, or the other thing. But Steve Jobs had an amazing quote when he was alive. He said, we don't hire great people to tell them what to do. We hire great people. So they tell us what to do. And you probably have people on your team who are really smart, who are doing things below their pay grade because you're doing their job. And if you just gave them their job, they would do it better than you. And your business would grow faster and you'd have more free time. That's the biggest area of leverage for most people is what is not your job. So when you know, just write all the things out that is, is not your job that you're doing and then disseminate them to everybody else in the business. And everyone will probably be happier because now they're doing the job they were hired for doing it better than you can. And you'll move ahead. And then finally, the fourth question in the matrix is what are your distractions? And then using stuff. Like recently, a lot of our clients have been using the Opal app, O-P-A-L. It's an iPhone app that just blocks you from going on websites or social media or whatever you set it up to block. And so what our head coach in our business, he sets it up so he's not allowed to access anything between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m., which is his main work block. And then from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., which is his family time. And so he's just built a fence around himself to protect him from bad behaviors. So figure out what your distractions are and build a system that stops you from being distracted. And, you know, those four questions will really help people make more better use of their time so that they can go out and get into the day-to-day stuff of, you know, accomplishing more while actually working less. Ooh, man, that, that was so good. I'm, I'm going to download that app and guy, I'm actually going to put that in the link below for everybody to kind of. Yeah. And I think the Android one is one sec, like O-N-E-S-E-C. I think that's the Android version. I'm not sure, but I think it is. And so it just, it protects you. Yeah, it's easy to get distracted. I think it's easier to get distracted if you're entrepreneurial minded, right? Because then you enjoy having multiple projects. And in some ways you enjoy control. You want to have control over your time. You want to have control. But in order, what you're saying in your work is in order to get to the next level, you have to let things go to make room for the things that really matter. And that's not just in business, but that's also in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like when you become a parent, there's a lot of things you have to learn to become a parent. And if you don't make time to, to learn the, those things and, you know, set your family up for success and set your kids up for success, like, oh my God, the cribs, the strollers, all this, that, thank God my wife is, you know, loves to research these things. I wouldn't even have thought about, you know, 90% of the stuff that she thinks about, but you have to make time for that. I had to be even better at delegating my work and assigning some of the stuff that I regularly did to people on my team so that I can contribute to the family. And, you know, this new thing that I had to learn. Do you struggle with delegation or is that something no, you've learned? I'm no. lazy. No, I'm, no. I am. I am. Fortunately, I am lazy as heck and I don't <laughs> like to learn things. Like I don't like, I don't know any technology stuff, right? Like I barely know how to turn my computer off every time that I like the phone is a little wonky and I'm like, I should probably restart my phone. I'm worried. I'm not going to be able to figure out how to turn it back. on. <laughs> so, so by not knowing, and this is something that I realized back when I was coaching fitness entrepreneurs to build an online business. The less you know about technology for most entrepreneurs, probably not this audience, but most entrepreneurs, the less you know, the better you're going to be as an entrepreneur. Because when there's a website glitch, if you know how to fix that, you're going to go fix it. But it is going to take away from you selling your products and services. And so you might save some money but you'll spend your time and you'll lose your revenue. And I've seen this over and over and over again. The, the more that a personal trainer knew about technology, the less money they made every single time. And so for me, I don't learn stuff that I don't need to know. And I'm also inherently lazy. 
And I only like to do a small number of things. And so it's very easy for me to delegate. I'm, I'm lucky that way. The, the, the way that I, I reframe it for people that don't delegate is that you were not put here on this earth to do the things that you need to delegate. And this goes into your personal life too, like laundry, groceries, meal prep, cleaning your house, all those, all those things. You were not put here on this earth. You know, you're trying to run this company and build this app and this software that's going to change people's lives, have impact, right? And, and you know, that's, that's what you were put here on this earth to do. And when you're cleaning your house and you're cutting your own lawn to save money and all this type of stuff, you're actually, you know, you're insulting the creator who put you here because now you're doing these things that you shouldn't be doing. And there were other people who were put here on this earth to do your bookkeeping. And like, there's some people who geek out about bookkeeping. And if you're doing your own bookkeeping and you're doing it poorly and it's taking you a lot of time, you're stealing joy from the person who loves bookkeeping and who could feed their family by doing your bookkeeping which would then give you back five hours a week. So you could go out and, and sell more of your software and service and make more money for you, but also have you know, a greater impact on other people. And you have to understand that. And so when you understand what you were put here on this earth to do, then it's very easy for you to just do that and to let go of everything else. So I encourage you to, to do that. And that message goes over really, really well with female entrepreneurs because they have a greater societal pressure from their mother-in-laws and, and society to do everything, you know, run the business, do everything around the house, do everything for the family. But, you know, they were not. And then when I say to them, you were not put here on this earth to do the meal prep in, in your, in your life, because you have this business, like you're not helping people in your business because you're doing meal prep. That's just stupid. Like, I don't say that, but I say you were not put here on this earth to do that. Because you're missing out on the greater thing. So understand what you were put here on this earth to do. Look at it that way. And then you will start to make better choices with your time. And it'd be easier for you to delegate. Ooh, that, that is so good. And, and by the way, my sister loved the uh, other, ep- the first episode we did. Because your message, it is, is so relatable. And I think not only just to female uh, entrepreneurs, but I think also to people who are more academic. They think they need to be an expert in every single bucket. And then to grow and scale, and this is something that I've learned here being out in the Bay in the Silicon Valley area, is that, you know, you, you want to hire experts to do things that they're, and enable them and empower them to do their thing. And then you, you don't necessarily want to be a generalist, but you want to own a piece of it, right? So like you have a CTO, you have a CEO, you have a, somebody that does marketing, you can't do and control everything. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that. No, you got, I think what people have a harder time with than delegation is trusting, and that's something that, you know, it's like you have to dig deep into figure out like that's a Gavin issue. It's like Gavin's going to help you. Like, why do you why do you have a hard time trusting people? Because if you can't trust people, then you're only going to be able to go so far. Right. Like Elon has to trust the people who build the rockets, who do this, that and the other thing. He can't do it all himself. But if you want to do great things, you have to trust the people that you've hired. You know, have to lead them and and set up systems for them to succeed. Because if, you, if you're not trusting people to do the work that, that you hired them to do, it's going to be like a golden handcuff on you. Ooh, that, that is so good. And that's the hardest thing to do, I think, especially after you get battle scars in life, you know, whether you get screwed over by a business partner or in a relationship. Okay, I, I know we're approaching time and there is one more topic I, I want to make sure that we touch upon. And, and you, you talk about this in your work and it's important because there are many like aspiring entrepreneurs who are you know, stuck in a job or have bills and responsibility. Do you have any recommendations for them in terms of how to structure their schedule and day around their work so they can make time to to unlock the business opportunities or maybe go after a passion or quit their job? Yeah. So so there's a couple of ways of doing it. There's the early bird, there's the night owl, and then there's the slivers of time. And I've used them all. So when I was a personal trainer, I tried doing the night owl thing. But the problem with being a personal trainer is that everybody wants to train at like five or six or seven in the morning. And so you have to get up early. And then if you're like, okay, I'm going to work all day and then come home and work at night on my project. I mean, when I tried to sit in front of the computer and work on my online business, when I was a personal trainer, it was like people were shoving glass in my eyes. I was so tired. (laughs) And it was difficult. And then also to be a night owl, like you have to have the discipline to protect yourself from Netflix and alcohol and social events and all this thing. Now you can do it. 
by all means, you can do it. And when everybody goes to bed in your house or whatever, you stay up and you work on it because you're going to be focused. You're going to have fewer distractions in theory. And that's the time to do it. Then you have to make sure that you're putting all of your effort into that level 10 problem, the thing that's really going to move the business ahead. Because you can have you can have no job and have all the time in the world to work on your business. But if you're not working on the, the level 10 problem, which is generally revenue generation activities at a zero level, like you like 80 or 90 percent of your time should be put in selling your product. Then if you don't put the time into that, then you're not going to get ahead no matter how much time you put into it. So there's the night owl approach, which may work for some people. It's not sustainable long term, but it may work at the start. The other thing is you have to get up earlier. And so if you work from nine to five and you have to be on the road at like 730 in the morning and you have to, it takes you 30 minutes to get ready. Well, you get up at six o'clock in the morning, you work from six until seven, and then you get ready and then you're on the road. That's one way of doing it. Even if you only did 30 minutes in the morning, I mean, I did 15 minutes in the morning some days and I still got ahead because I planned the night before and got to it. And that's another aspect of it is you have to plan the night before or the day before or, you know, if you're a night owl the day of, you have to know what you're going to work on so that it can be set up. And so that when you start, like, let's say you start working at 9 p.m. at night, you're not taking the first 30 minutes to get set up or to figure out or to do your to do list because, you're missing out on the greatest energy and and motivation that you have. And the final thing that I said was the slivers of time. And so it's, you know, it's sexy to be a night owl and it's like understandable to be an early morning 5am club type person. But I think a lot of people lose a lot of time by not understanding that you can do a lot in what's called the slivers of time. And so I, I stole this phrase from a woman named Alice Monroe. And Alice Monroe was a single woman in the 1960s and 70s who became a short story writer in Vancouver or Victoria, Canada. And she won in 2018 or 2020, she won the Nobel Prize for Literature for her short stories. And she was this single mom who lived above the bookstore where she worked. And when her kids got on the school bus, she wrote in what she called the slivers of time before she had to go downstairs and work at the bookstore. And when I was a personal trainer, this this back in the days of a BlackBerry, I used to write my men's health magazine articles standing in a crowded subway car on the way home from the gym to my house in Toronto. And I would write with my thumbs on somebody's back, like my, my BlackBerry would be resting on somebody's back and I'd be writing my articles. And I had five or 10 minutes between personal training sessions sometimes because someone was late. I would write my articles. I would write my workout programs. I'd write my emails to my list in the slivers of time. Now, unfortunately, today what people do is they use the slivers of time on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube. And so they're giving away these slivers of time. But if you add them up over the course of the day, I mean, you can get an hour's worth of time. You know, again, standing in line, the doing, you know, you know, sitting on the toilet. You know, I know people are on the phones on the toilet. You may as well work if you're going to be there instead of scrolling. And so the slivers of time can really add up. And it can be a remarkable breakthrough for people that when you add it in to what you're doing, like if you get a lunch break where you can actually leave your office, you know, so you're working and you're building a business on the side, go out to your car. And if it's safe, <laughs> you know, sit in the car and work on your business. It just every single second that you have put into it and you'll accelerate your results. And I think a lot of people miss out on that because they think if I don't have an hour or three hours then I can't do anything. But a smart person will see, will know their business and know what can be done. Even if you're writing a sales page or you're writing, you're, you're doing YouTube videos or whatever, write like 20 headlines and, you know, uh, names of videos or podcast ideas, or you, you can just use the slivers of time to get ahead. Ooh, that, that is so good. And I think you're right. You know, a lot of us, we think we need to have this long time box or be in front of our computers and, we're really giving up most of our time to distractions on social media or stupid conversations or just random slots that we could be using to, to focus. And especially when you're working a job, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs use it as a crutch saying, Hey, I really don't have the time. But if, if you really take a look deep, they're probably getting away two to three hours a day on social media, on Facebook, or even, you know, when you're just hanging out and having a coffee, you can be working on your business. Yeah. You know, just go to your phone and look at how much screen time you spend on social and your goal is next week to decrease that by 20%. And then the week after by another 20%. And then, you know, 
stick with that for a bit. But if you, if you're on the, your phone four hours a day and you get it down to three hours a day, now you've got that hour that you can put into your business. And if you are focused, you can get an amazing amount of work done and focused and prepared. You can get an amazing amount of work done on your business projects in, in that little time. So listen to this now. And in three months from us, uh, you know, from this update us on how much progress you've made just on making that slivers a time change. And I think it'll be huge. That that is so powerful. And Craig, you know, thank you so much for coming on, man. These episodes and your knowledge and the depth of the knowledge you have, not only in just in business and practicality in terms of implementing, you know, best practices and scheduling and mindset, but also just how relatable and how open you are with things that you go through, you know, challenges and these personal things that entrepreneurs at every different guys, you know, Craig really works at the top line entrepreneurs. And it's cool to hear that these entrepreneurs that you're working with are struggling with things that all of us struggle with. Guys, make sure you check out his book and his podcast. It's Early to Rise with Craig Ballantyne. Craig, what's the best way for folks who did want to work with you and your team or maybe with Gavin? What's the best way to get in touch? Is it through Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. Real Craig Ballantyne on Instagram. Or you can email me, Craig at CraigBallantyne.com. And that'll be the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Make sure you share the show and give Craig and his team a follow and also Gavin. Craig, thank you so much. I know we went over time. I'm honored to always have you on and I'd love to have you on again. Yeah, we'll do it for sure. Thank you so much, my friend.